Boston Science Podcast, hosted by USA National Team Head Coach Aaron Comesti and SNS Barbell Owner and Coach Joe Cristando. In this podcast, we go over various powerful topics in detail and use real-life examples to help you better understand All right, everybody, welcome to Squats and Science Podcast, Episode 3. I'm Coach Joe Cristando, and I'm with uh, Head Coach Arian Kamesi, and we have a guest with us today, uh, George Green. Uh, George, you want to tell us a little, a little bit about yourself, your position, and what you do? Sure, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. So, uh, my name is George Green, and I'm the Assistant AD for Athletic Performance at Stony Brook University. Um, been here going on my third year now. Uh, it's really full circle for me. I'm actually from New York, uh, but I started my career at the University of Iowa as a strength and conditioning intern, worked with men's and women's basketball there. From the University of Iowa, I went to the University of Massachusetts Amherst. Uh, from UMass, I had a stint, uh, short stint with uh, a private facility, Athletic Republic here in, on Hop Hog on Long Island. From there, I went back to UMass as a full-time assistant. I spent about four years there. From UMass, I went to uh, Fort Bragg, North Carolina, where I was a tactical strength and conditioning specialist. From Fort Bragg, I went to the University of Mary Washington, where I was the director of strength and conditioning. Uh, started the strength and conditioning program from scratch, so a real unique opportunity there. And then that led me to my current role at Stony Brook, uh, where I oversee uh, the athletic performance department. Um, and I work directly with the men's basketball program here. Cool. So you've, you've been all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Definitely. it sounds like it. <laughs> That's good, though, because you probably have, uh, you know, different perspectives, different strength and conditioning applications. No uh, question. Yeah. So uh, how did you get started down this career path? What got you into it? Yeah, I mean, I was fortunate. So when I, I went to college, I went to a small Division three school, Springfield College in Massachusetts, um, and I went there to play football. And, you know, I always loved weight training. That was always kind of you know, the, as at five, six and 160 pounds in high school, your, your, your edge is really going to come from how strong you are and how fast you are. Not, you know, I wasn't blessed with height and, and, and size. So, you know, for me, the weight room, even as a high school athlete is really kind of where I made, uh, get, I created opportunities for myself to maybe out, out play people that were a little bit bigger and a little bit faster than me. Um, so when I got to college, uh, I went in as a PE major. I thought maybe I want, I'd want to do, uh, you know, coach, coach football and then, you know, work in the, work in the you know, as a, P, uh, as a PE teacher. Uh, but when I did my first workout uh, with the strength and conditioning staff there my freshman year of college, I, I couldn't believe that people were paid to do uh, what, those, what, that, what the staff there was doing. I mean, that, that blew my <laughs> mind. And, and, and this is, you know, you know, 13, 14 years ago now, maybe even a little more than that. And the strength and conditioning field was kind of just starting to evolve. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's even in a short period of time, it's amazing how far it's come. Uh, but I asked them what they went to school for, how they got into it, what, what, what some of the steps that they took were. And uh, Mary Kate Fight, who was the, the, one of my strength coaches at the time, she's the one who got me my internship in Iowa. She moved on from Springfield, went to Iowa. And then, my, you know, when I, when I graduated, I went out there to work uh, with her and the staff that was at Iowa. So... You know, that's kind of how I got into it. It really was, you know, like my I always loved lifting in a lot of ways. I loved it more than I loved playing the sports I did. Right. You know, and, that, and that's kind of how I knew it would be a career for me. Right. My jump in here real quick, Joe. Thanks for having us, uh, George. So you were kind of talking about in high school how you had to kind of outwork everyone and try so much harder um, to stay on the team. So did you kind of know already in high school that 
probably were going to make it. Like, you don't want to be a pro athlete, but at that point, you kind of knew you weren't making that switch to something different. Right. No, definitely. Like, I, it, you know, I think it, the reality sets in and when you, uh, you know, when you realize that, you know, I think everybody as a young athlete, like, you know, you dream of being a professional. And there's no question I did as a, you know, seventh, eighth grader. But I think, you know, reality sets in for you when you see some of those guys and how big, fast they are. Um, and the, they're the genetically elite of the world. And, you know, quite frankly, not everybody can be a professional athlete. But, you know, to me, um, you know, even at, with the elite level players that I've worked with, what, what they do in the weight room, what they do from a nutrition standpoint, what they do from all things related to training can give them the, the 1% or 5% that they need to be an elite level, you know, next level type player. So that's always what I really have enjoyed about it is, you know, and I work with athletes at all levels. I have athletes that come in here with, you know, with lower genetic potential than some of the guys that we have that you would classify as, you know, a true freak that, that kind of has some God given ability. But all of them, you know, all of them can definitely show improvement. It just, it just depends on where they start from. Sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. It uh, seems to be the same thing, a powerful thing, uh, especially because a lot of people try and do things on their own and look stuff online. Um, and you'll get lifters that maybe, like, will bomb out of the first nationals or maybe get second or third place a lot of times. They'll switch to a new coach, and that makes a difference. And now we have some people that in those positions now are winning nationals every year. Right, exactly. You know, just this, the slight edge that you need to be successful sometimes – um, you know, you got to try different things through trial and error to figure out what works for you. Right. Uh, so we wanted to talk about nutrition today, right? That's like our, that's where you feel the most comfortable. Um, so we could get started with that. Um, what, what's your overall philosophy for nutrition uh, as a coach when you're uh, coaching athletes? Yeah, I think I think with with athletes, especially at the college level, you got you've got to think about what's practical. I think that's probably the most important piece of the whole thing is is giving them guidance on what is realistic for their day, their schedule, their time demands, and what they might have access to. If that is what's they, what do they serve at the dining hall, and then also what they might be buying on their own. So taking budget considerations into play, um, but getting athletes number one, most importantly, being consistent, um, consistently not missing breakfast, not missing meals, um, getting snacks in throughout the course of the day, uh, not missing uh, an opportunity to fuel, you know, in the, in the pre-post-workout window that we all know is valuable for, even, for a power lifter or an Olympic lifter or a bodybuilder, but for an athlete who might expend 1,500 calories on a given practice but that could last up to three hours, if they're not eating the right way, they're not going to be successful long-term. Um, with a lot of the athletes I work with, uh, that come in that really need to gain weight. Most of the athletes I work with, I'd say four out of five, uh, are athletes that need to that need to put muscle on. They need to gain weight to be to, to gain an edge. Uh, the consistency piece is is number one because it, if they're not doing those, if they're not eating enough throughout the course of the day, they're not going to be able to make long term progress. Um, so I'd say that's the biggest thing. And then and then the second thing would be finding finding things that the athletes actually like to eat. You know, and, and, and communicating with them and, and, and making sure that they understand that, you know, it doesn't always have to be, you know, I think a lot of people associate uh, healthy eating with bland foods and, you know, getting some of these athletes to understand that they could they can enjoy what they're eating as well. It doesn't, you don't need to be a robot. Right. So I actually, I, th I think this is interesting. And I find the crossover here when I, with people I coach, um, not specifically people who have been powerlifting for a while, but people who come to me who just general strength training. Um, I, a lot of them are underweight and trying to convince them to gain weight 
like uh, it's an uphill battle. Um, partly because they think like you know you, you tell them you don't have to just eat chicken breast and rice um, to be healthy. Right? If you're training hard and consistently, that you can allow yourself a little bit of leeway. And in fact, to gain weight, you, you kind of have to. It's impossible to gain weight on chicken and rice. Um, and I, I think the psychology of this is interesting because it's so ingrained in people. Um, especially just general population, it might be different for college athletes, but um, just trying to convince them that that it's 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 almost impossible to gain weight if you're just eating healthy, quote unquote, healthy foods instead of allowing yourself a little bit of junk food here and there in order to put weight on. Um, I don't know if you run into that the same way, but you, you do at times. I mean, a lot of, you know, college athletes, you know, it's, it's a little less. Like I, I'm, you know, I. I competed in bodybuilding, so I know a lot of people in the bodybuilding community, and they and they I think that that population struggles more than anybody to yeah you know, to, to not eat you know the classical you know chicken rice or and broccoli meals. Um, but you know with athletes that expend so many calories, you know, and also want to gain weight, there there's there's no doubt you've got to find calorie dense foods for them to eat, and that can't always be egg whites and yes. uh, vegetables. Like they've they've got to. And, and what I say to them is, and you know, is that you want to avoid the garbage, you know, like traditional junk food, like you know, the athletes eating candies and um, you know some of the some of the you know the really poorly cooked fast food stuff. Like, but if an athlete gets a like gets some gets good pizza or um, you know goes and gets a gets a hamburger or something like that, like those are things that, in addition to eating the right food over the course of the day, will help them gain extra calories keep things fresh a little bit for them so they don't feel like they're robotic. Um, and, and, and also like allow them to feel like they're, they're normal, you know, like then they don't have to have us, you know, something completely set in stone. Right. Yeah. Do you get a lot of pushback from, from them when you try and get them to do that? Or they kind of just like, okay. Yeah. For the most part, they're pretty good about it. I think, you know, we, we try, we, we've, and again, it's an evolution the, the way it works with these guys. I've been here three years and my first year was a little harder than it is for me now. Because a lot of the younger guys now see what the older guys have done. We do before and after photos. When freshmen come in, we take a before photo. After their first year in the program, we take a second photo. And, you know, let's say we have an an average every, you know, our player that wants to gain weight might put 15, 16, 20 pounds on their first year. Um, They can see an obvious difference in their bodies. And then the younger guys see those and they want to follow suit. They're like, oh, man, I want to change my body. So. It's a little easier. My first year was a little bit more pulling teeth, but this this year now, third year now going now we'll be going into my fourth. Um, you know, it'll it'll. I think you're starting to see it. It comes easier and easier. The culture is different, right? You kind of create like a positive feedback loop too. I'm sure yeah. they, they see it in the strength training too, because you know the I, I get pushback from general strength athletes, and they say you know often it's like they plateau and they can't make progress. If I can convince them to gain weight, they'll see progress. Um, kind of come back quick right and then exactly. it, it creates this association of oh if i just like eat more <laughs> that I, I can make better progress in the gym right which makes sense yeah, yeah. it's yeah. just that that initial like convincing them is is it's it's tricky and that's yeah, interesting sometimes. that you it's interesting no, ahead, that you do the the progress photos because a lot of times people see themselves every day so they don't see the change because it's happening so slowly but when they see that the yearly photos side by side then they'll see how big they actually change that year and it'll motivate them going forward. And also then you almost have like testimonials, like you said, for the next group coming in, you can show them like, hey, this is the results we did last season with our team and this is our expectation for you for this season. So yeah, and, yeah, it 
and we do it with we, a lot of times too, we'll compare players of similar stature. So, um, you know, if we had a six foot four, uh, player who, who gained 25 pounds and they played the same position and they have a similar build, we'll show that to an incoming freshman and say like, okay, this is what this person did in a year. This is what your potential is. And here was the roadmap that they followed to get there. You know, same thing with a, a weight loss guy, which we usually have one or two a year. Um, and, and those are a lot of times are, you know, you talked about, is it challenging for getting convincing athletes to gain weight? A lot of times the hardest part is, is with an athlete that needs to lose weight because of the social aspect right. that, that we have at the college level. Like we serve these guys training table after practice every day. So you're telling 13 of them, they need to have three plates. And then there's one of them that you're saying, Hey, you need to, you need to modify what you're eating. So those are probably the hardest uh, you know, that takes more discipline, in my opinion, at the college level is the athlete that needs to drop significant weight. Right. And when you're in college, it's so much easier to just eat junk food. Kind oh, of yeah. Not really. really. The, that and they have the uh, all you can eat at the, at the dining hall. I mean, I remember in college, I used to literally go for breakfast and then I would sit there and talk with my teammates or whatever and then wait for lunch to come around and eat again. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, you're just you're just hanging out and like that's that's, the, you know, kind of how, you know, they, they have a lot of. They have a lot of opportunities to, to fuel themselves here, so it's it's sometimes the hardest part is getting some of the uh, weight loss guys to be on on top of themselves. So. Right. I don't think we run into that as much in powerlifting. Most people try and go a class yeah. or two, um, so I don't never really dealt with that. But I can imagine. I mean, I've dealt with it personally. I've lost weight, significant amounts of weight, and I know it's mentally it's it's hard. And from yeah. a coaching aspect, I'm sure it's even harder. Yes. Yeah. So. Uh... I'll jump in here for our next question because I know for you, nutrient timing is pretty important. So we'll talk about um, for, you, for your sports as well, off-season and in-season is different. So we'll start off with the off-season. Um, so when you have off-season, do you typically have uh, days where your, your uh, athletes are doing weight training and having their sport practice on the same day? In the off-season? In the off-season, yes. Yeah, so in the off-season, we'll do a lot more. Uh, we, we do, but it's more individual uh, practices during that time. So, um, some of that is split up. So the athletes might go in small groups with the coaches, uh, throughout the course of the day with a lift somewhere in the middle. Um, and then other times it's a team practice in the off season, depends on how many hours we're, uh, we're in for that time of year. But, uh, for the most part, like our focus is and, and priority is on getting the athletes bigger and stronger that time of year. So we almost always lift before, we, we practice. Um, so we kind of try and br we pr bring that together as much as we can. So let's say we have a 1 p.m. lift. We'll be done at 2, and then they'll go down the course usually no more than an hour to an hour and a half. So they're, they're, their training window is somewhere between 2 and 2 and a half hours on that day if they were to practice and lift on the same side. Yeah, basically if they're off-season and they kind of have like weight training and then maybe their sport practice on the same day, have a weight train before – how would you look it into like uh, placing their carbs before the workouts or before the practice? Yep, definitely. So we're we're fortunate where a lot of our stuff is in the afternoons. So especially in the off season, we'll have um, it, it, we'll have a lift, and that'll be followed by individuals or team practice, depending on the time of year. Sometimes we just lift, depending on uh, where we are in the off season. But it, traditionally, if we lift, we'll, we'll practice after. We the, the primary focus in the off season, especially early on, is getting these guys bigger and stronger. So we'll start with a lift and then go into practice. Um, so really, we're looking at about two to two and a half hours of 
activity that they'd be going through at that time. We'll lift for an hour. We'll probably practice for an hour, hour and a half with a little bit of you know transition time in between. So what we try and do is get the athletes to have a higher carb meal um, sometime around 10 or 11 before they lift. Um, that way they're getting in um, something that can carry them in, carry them through that two and a half hour period. Obviously we want to have some protein in that meal as well. Um, and then right after practice, uh, right, excuse me, right after lift, we'll give the athletes something, uh, with, you know, that's 20 to 30 gram. Uh, we have like, uh, Gatorade chews. We have, um, chocolate milk. If a guy can stomach it, we have, um, some, you know, some higher carb Gatorade bars that we give the athletes that, you know, right before they go down and practice. So there's another, another opportunity. They're not going from lift and they're feeling like they're completely depleted and they don't have any energy for practice. Um, so we provide them with that. And then when practice is over, we have a, we have a full meal for them. Um, so depending on the, the, the time of year and the, and the, and the time of day, uh, but that two thirty or three o'clock, it'll be a lunch slash dinner type meal. So, um, some sort of, uh, some sort of chicken, rice, pasta, uh, with mixed vegetables, um, and a couple other options for them spread out the course of the week. So nothing, no two meals are the same every week. Right. Uh, but something along those lines following practice. So, you know, number one priority is getting them enough calories to sustain the energy, the, the activity they do over the course of that day. And then number two, the quality of those um, of those calories and where they're coming from to make sure that they're they're you know, they're, they're getting all their needs met. <clears throat> How specific do you get with their meal planning outside of um, just like the before and after window of training? Like, do you do their dinners and breakfasts and all that stuff? We don't provide all of that. Um, so they do have a meal plan. It's all you can eat. Um, there are uh, certain athletes that I will have meet me for breakfast in the morning right. um, at, at the dining hall. And, and what they serve changes. You know, so um, a lot of times breakfast is pretty consistent. Like they do it. They have like a nice omelet line where you can put 15 different vegetables in there with uh, either eggs or egg whites uh, with different meats and stuff like that. So it's that, that's kind of like the, the favorite for the guys. Um, and then they have, you know, things, oatmeal, cereals, um, you know, different types of, uh, of bread and fruits that they can get their hands on. So I'll go in the, in the off season with the guys and meet them for breakfast when we're in the school year, mm -hmm. um, in the summer, it's a little different. Um, so right now what I'm kind of referring to is more postseason. So basically March through May, uh, when the season is over and then before the summer in the summer, we, the dining hall isn't open, right. Um, so we spend a little bit more time from an education standpoint. We go to the dining, uh, excuse me, we go to the grocery store with the guys. Um, we, you know, help them grocery shop because they get, um, they get money that they could spend on food. Um, so, and they have to basically, you know, stock their fridges and their kitchens. Um, you know, so we go in there and kind of educate them on, on what to buy uh, that gives them the most bang for their buck. And then we, we train in the morning in the summertime. Uh, so we'll, we'll give them a snack in the morning because it's early and then at like eight eight thirty we'll give them breakfast uh, as a team that's great yeah and then for um in season when they have a, a game day and let's say their game day is like afternoon or night have you yeah. found like a certain time that is good for them to have like their last meal before their game yeah so we you're this is perfect timing because we just got done with pregame meal before i got on the phone with you guys <laughs> and uh, we, we tip off tonight at seven so we eat our pregame meal four hours before every game um, by clockwork. We always do. Um, and today we did team breakfast at 10. Um, so we got the guys up. We, we, we traditionally play at 7, so the guys sleep in until about 9.30. And then we, we do a team breakfast at 10. They go back uh, to their dorm or apartment, 
that we're home today. Uh, if we're on the road, we'll go back to the hotel. Uh, and then they come back for a shoot around at two, you know, so they just kind of get a little bit of a swag, get shots up, coach runs through their, you know, the team's plays, things like that. And then at three o'clock, we have a, a, a team meal and that consists of, you know, two to three protein options and two to three complex carb options with some vegetables, um, and some fruits and stuff like that. And we're very consistent with what we give them. It's very, you know, the pregame meal really doesn't change. We don't want to, with, with the routine stuff, we don't really deviate a tremendous amount. It's usually either chicken or ground turkey or some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of fish with either, either uh, like roasted potatoes or brown rice or pasta uh, with some red sauce and then, you know, some sort of vegetable medley and, or, and a salad and some mixed fruits. So but they're pretty consistent with that. And, and then right before the game, there's a few guys that, that like to have a little something in them before they play. Um, you know, some athletes will grab like a small nature's Valley bar or a little granola bar or a handful of granola, just a little something to get in their system while they play. And then at halftime, uh, we give all the guys uh, energy shoes, the Gatorade. And I don't know if you're familiar with those. It's, they're, they're, it's, it's Gatorade's version of fruit snacks, basically simple sugar <laughs> that get your system quickly and then kind of get them through the second half of the game. So, so during a game, they're pretty much only having um, water, Gatorade, and the Gatorade juice. Yes, yeah. During the game, we don't we don't give them much. Um, you know, some athletes, you know, in in the past have you know have grabbed a piece of fruit or something like that in the locker room. Or, but from a team standpoint, that's pretty much all we give them. That, that's interesting because, like for Powell thing, everyone's trying to look into what they should eat after they make uh, weigh-ins. So whether they have their weigh-ins two hours before or maybe even 24 hours before, what they should eat. And then a lot of times they're always asking what to eat during the competition. And it's surprising how much food palpers bring to competition, <laughs> eating so many carbs, so much chocolate, candy, and everything like that for yeah. a sport that's not necessarily a, uh, a aerobic sport, a conditioning sport. Versus right. uh, these uh, basketball players or other sport athletes that are just having some simple sugars and water for two or three hours of, uh, of a game. Yeah, I mean, like, it's, you know, the other thing, too, in power, like, in, you know, for me, I, I, I could stomach a, a, a pretty good amount before I lift. Like, I, I'm, you know, notorious for eating my lunch 10 minutes later, I'm lifting. Like, it doesn't really, it, if I'm just tr strength training, it really doesn't impact me. But these guys are, if you're playing 40 minutes of sprinting, like, you, it's, it's a lot. And you're, and, you know, you, you'd lose your dinner pretty quickly if you ate too much in the middle of that. Or if yeah. you, you went into halftime and had a bag of pretzels or something like that, like yeah, the, the length of time it would be, it would take for that to like for your body to start digesting that, and for you to actually use that as energy, wouldn't wouldn't really be feasible. And it would be, it would, they'd have that kind of feeling like it's sitting in their stomach, right? Uh, so, and and the other thing too, I mean, we, you know, we're 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 a mid-major school, we but we, you know, we'll have a game like tonight, we'll have four thousand people, thirty-five hundred people at the game, and it, wow. it's a loud, you know, a loud gym and. You know, there's nerves involved too, as, as much as powerlifting there obviously is as well. But these guys get pretty worked up. A lot of them get kind of a that, that those butterflies in their stomach anyway. So the last thing they want to do is eat. Yeah, and I guess if it's not a uh, a weight class sport, or if in powerlifting you're not cutting weight on the meat week, you're not depleting your your glycogen stores, then you don't really need to be pumping yourself with a bunch of food and trying to get all this energy um, during your lifting because you already have your glycogen stores full from the day before or like the meal. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So that, you know, these guys, you know, from, you know, they'll be pretty topped off by the time the game starts and they're, 
you know, as the day goes on, the nerves start to come in a little bit more and more. But breakfast and pregame meal, everybody's pretty loose still. But by the time, you know, at, you know, five o'clock on, we play at seven, you know, these guys are headphones on, music on, they're kind of locked in, you know, as if, you know, for you guys, it's, you know, the kind of opener, they're thinking about that all the entire time. And then once, the, then once you're in it, like, you, 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 you know, you, you, you play for the first time, the light, and then it goes away. But up until that time, they're, they're pretty worked up. Yeah, it's just very similar to powerlifting. Once once you hit that opener, it's kind of downhill from there, you know, kind of smooth sailing. But Right, no question. Um, so, so go, oh, go ahead. Jump, jump in, Joe. Going to go back to uh, we were talking about the, the weight gaining prior, and you had mentioned the, the progress photos you have of people and that the strength gains they make. So I was just wondering, like, what are some of the kinds of strength gains they make in off season? Like, are these lifter, uh, these athletes in the weight room going from like a two twenty five squat to like a four four oh five squat, maybe like a one thirty five bench to like a three fifteen bench? What kind of numbers are they doing in the off season? Yeah, so it, some of those numbers you just listed are pretty accurate. So a freshman, I found most of our freshmen, depending on how they're built, and now you know, some of these guys are not built to lift weights and to put it to put it frankly like i we have two guys that are seven feet tall on our team mm-hmm. and and one of them has a seven foot five wingspan so their the their levers are so different than than a power lifter or a bodybuilder or even just any other athlete they're built they're built uh to play basketball for sure so the a lot of times they get these guys come in here with you know middle minimal to no weight training experience and um, so when you, when you start, they, they really make the kind of the newbie gains that you, that you wish you could do every year when, you know, when you first started training like that, that, that first year you train, you're like, Oh my God, I gained five pounds on my bench every week. Like it's, you know, it's, it's, and that's really kind of what you see with these guys. So, you know, for, you know, for example, like most, most of our incoming freshmen will, freshmen will come in and after a three to four week training period where we teach them how to move, we teach them how to squat. They'll, they'll handle two and a quarter for a couple reps. So you'll have the equivalent of maybe a 250 pound back squat max after their first month here. Um, in their, in their postseason testing, most of those athletes will be able to squat three plates, you know, so they'll, they'll go up, you know, some, somewhere around a hundred pounds, um, in their first year, um, and from the bench press, very similar, obviously maybe not as substantial, but a lot of guys come in here and basketball does, you know, the, the NBA, the NBA combine, you know, does a 185 rep max versus the 225 rep max you see in the NFL combine. So as many reps as they can do at 185. And I have many guys that can't do 185 one time when they get here. Um, it'll, you know, the, so we'll have them do 135, and then most of them can maybe do it five or six times. Um, and by the time they leave in the spring that same year, they'll be able to do 185 for seven or eight reps. So, you know, they'll go from a 165 bench to a 215 to 225 bench. So they, they make a lot of progress early. I'd say their first two years, their progress really doesn't stall a ton. Um, throughout the, each training cycle, they'll make, you know, five to ten percent improvement on, on on some of their major compound lifts. Uh, when they get to their junior and senior years, they've been in the program for two years. You know, it'd be like training an elite powerlifter. You're trying to you're trying more advanced th- uh, training programs to gain ten pounds on a squat or or, or five pounds on a bench. And then with with these guys, it's some of it is okay. What what? How do you define strong enough with some of them as they get a little older? I mean, is with some of these athletes is a you know if if they're squatting one and a half to two times their body weight is another five to ten pounds going to make them a better basketball player? So you're looking at 
you know, as do we, we do we want to focus on this athlete's lateral change of direction uh, abilities? Do we want this at you know does this athlete need to get a little bit more explosive? Do we focus on more rate of force development? So, you know, as their juniors and seniors, it gets very very individualized in, in terms of how they train. Freshmen and sophomores really kind of just they they continue to make progress and on anything really you throw at them. So they're so they're, they're, they're training age is so young. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. And so you found kind of like for your freshmen and sophomores that the it's very beneficial to get those movie gains to increase like vertical jump and all that kind of stuff like that. And oh, then after yeah. that, it's like diminishing returns and you can't put as much into that. You have to focus on other aspects. Sure. You know, and then we still we still place a major emphasis. on. I think, you know, I, for, for me, I, the strength is the most important quality you could have as an athlete. It's um, if you look at it, if you get stronger and you and you get an athlete closer to his or her genetic potential in terms of strength development, they apply more force to the ground. They could change direction more efficiently. They they have a coat of armor on their body, so they're more resilient to injury. Like, you know, so our, you know, we have what I would consider to be some very strong players. Like we are, are we have a sophomore. Uh, uh, our three our three man is two hundred pounds. It could squat four twenty five, and he. Five percent body fat with a 40, 40 inch vertical jump, like, and wow. and his vertical jump went up, and you could see as his vertical as his squat went from he was a three fifteen squatter as a freshman last year, as his squat got near the four hundred pound mark and his body weight really didn't change, his vertical jump went up four to five inches. So, I think as you see the strength relative to body size as a basketball player you also see the, the vertical jump skyrocket as well. And that, that's really, you know, you talk about buy-in from nutrition. When those guys know, like, that's, you know, that vertical number is like, you know, you ask about their powerlifter, about their big three, you ask a basketball player how high he could jump. Right. Um, so those guys, if they see that progress being made, then they really buy into training, especially their lower body. Like, you can get guys, a lot of guys, to, to buy into just getting bigger because they look better and they wear a tank top in their games. Like, that's important to them as well. There's a mental piece of that. But the performance side comes really from how strong they get lower body-wise. That's interesting. Do you find it hard to convince them of that in the beginning when they're freshmen? Especially since um, probably they don't have the best leverages for squatting or benching. Uh, sure. might be a little bit more difficult than your average person. But, uh, yeah, do you find it hard to get them in, to buy into that? You know, it's it's interesting. Like, yes, the first year or so, and again, we have a really good culture. Our older guys are all really, they're really good in the weight room and they're really bought into the weight room. So the, uh, th that's never really been an issue. It, it's more so just kind of that, like, they, they've never experienced like the soreness and the fatigue and the, and the, and that, that comes from a really difficult, challenging, high volume program that they do when they get here. So they initially kind of feel like crap when they're playing in, in, in the summer. So the right. freshmen come in and they're like, they get done with, you know, some of our younger guys after a few weeks maybe doing four or five by 10 in the squat and, you know, 60% of your max, 65% of their max, which is creates a ton of muscle soreness. Like you, you try and jump after that. It doesn't feel good. So like, <laughs> yeah. you know, initially they, 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 they're not, you know, they're like, oh my God, I'm, how am I going to, and then all of a sudden you start to scale that back and you shift more to a strength-based program. And then as the season comes on, you're doing more stuff, you know, a little bit lighter, faster. And now they feel like a million bucks and they're ripping the rim off. So like, you know, it, it takes probably that, you know, the first going through that, like a, like a full year or a full off season, you know, where you go through that cycle to kind of feel like, okay, this is why they're doing it this way. Right. Yeah. It's interesting. And do you do any kind of like, um, weight training challenges because it's you have a team aspect so you kind of pit the 
the athletes against each other or maybe some kind of challenge to get them motivated to see who can like bench the most or anything like that? Yeah, we do. We do. A, we do. A, we do some sort of competition like every day, especially in the summertime. Um, you know, we based like we have a point system. Uh, we came up with uh, it's an Iron Wolf program. It's department wide, so every team competes against each other in like fifteen different exercises. Um, we have like in the summer we'll do like pull up competitions, dip competitions. We'll do speed competitions, break them up into groups, make an individual. Um, you know, that's a big part of you know for these guys is just getting used to competing every day. Um, and you know, obviously we're we have a 32 game season, but it ends in March, starts in November, so there's six months of the year that you know you really gain your competitive edge in the weight room. Um, you know, so we place a lot of emphasis on it. Yeah, and it seems to uh, like you say it builds a good culture and it kind of keeps people motivated. Um, there's some powerlifters that do that too if they have the team aspect. So there's a really good female powerlifter named Jennifer Thompson, and they have their home gym in their basement. And they invite lifters over, and so they have little competitions too, like see who can do their body weight for reps for dips, um, and see who can do the best. It kind of keeps everyone motivated and pushes them uh, for those workouts, especially like like you said, if you have a long workout, two hours, three hours, by the end when you're getting to especially work, you want to be lazy, you don't want to put most effort into it, but if you put that little challenge in there at the end, it kind of gives you that last bit of push. No question. Yeah, it definitely, it definitely puts them on another level. Um, you know, you get another 5 to 10 percent out of it when there's a, when there's a comp competition involved. Um, all right. Do we have anything else, Aaron? If we want to talk a little bit about of uh, about supplements, I know you, you can't uh, give too many recommendations on it, but even just explaining to people listening a little bit about like what are some of the rules and restrictions of of you giving recommendations for supplements in the NCAA because a lot of people might not know. Yeah, so I mean, these guys like for the most part, our primary focus is to try and get these guys to eat as much as we can and provide as much from a food standpoint. You guys know like. You know, a lot of times supplements are marketed as the kind of cure-all, be-all, end-all, and and the reality is it's it, it it isn't. Like if you're if you're training the right way, you're eating the right way, you're going to get most of what you need. You know, with with these for these guys, we provide a, like protein supplements for them. So meal replacement bars, we'll do whey protein after training sessions, um, stuff that's going to one get us closer to what their protein requirements are in a given day. We find that to be one of the hardest macronutrients to get. Carbs are readily available here. There's Gatorade at every practice. There's fruits and things like that they can grab and go at the dining hall. But sometimes there's a long line there, and they might not be able to get a big, great chunk of chicken breast at the line down the street. They may have to settle for something else. So we find that uh, providing them protein supplements helps in that regard. We do a multivitamin. Uh, it's, a, it's a shot that uh, it's a flavored multivitamin at our fueling station that they have access to every day. Um, you know, so those are really the, 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 the two to the three things that we provide that will help supplement their diet. And, um, you know, as a power lifter or a bodybuilder, you know, things like uh, pre-workout and uh, creatine are, are things that you could take to, to give yourself a little bit of a competitive advantage that, that we, we can't provide our athletes and we, and we can't recommend to our athletes. So we, right. we stick with, you know, kind of the bread and butter, the basics of um, supplementation. And, and in my opinion, honestly, um, it's for, for them and where they are from a training standpoint, for the most part, that's what they need to be successful. Yeah. And so since these athletes in the NCAA get drug tested sometimes, just like there's federations of power thing that do drug testing, when you give the weight protein, is there only certain brands or certain um, uh, labels that you can give that are basically like certified? 
Yeah, so that's a, that's a really good question. So there, there, our sports medicine staff has an app, and any supplement an athlete is taking that we don't provide to them. So like anything that we provide, we run through this app, and it'll tell us. It basically will check. It'll have a green check mark um, to, to show that it's compliant and there's um, it's it's approved or so on and so forth. If an athlete comes to the trainer or uh, to the strength coach or the sports medicine personnel and says, "Hey, I'm going to take this vitamin D supplement," or whatever the case is. Trainer will have it on file, and they'll also be able to run it through that app to ensure that the athlete's not putting something in their body that might come up as an uh, as a as a positive on a drug test. Oh, that's cool. Is that an app that's public to everyone? I don't. To be honest with you, I'm not sure the name what the name of the app is. I don't. I, I'm pretty sure it's something that people can get their hands on. But I, when we get off here, I'll look it up for you. I'll ask. Okay. Them. Yeah, because I I've seen websites and there's apps out there like there's a I think there's like Wada app out there or Usada app. Uh, I it might be something like that. Yeah, and there's like a, a 411 high-risk supplement uh, list on the USADA website that people can look into. Uh, and obviously, like you said, a lot of labels that they can look into it, whether it's WADA compliant. Um, there's thir- third-party ones like Informed Choice. Um, awesome. Yeah, uh, so just going into uh, kind of like finishing this up, for someone who is like listening to this and kind of interested and what you're doing and likes like what you've done at all the various universities with different sports um, and also the military, what would you recommend to them as far as like schooling? Should they get like a bachelor's, master's, what kind of degree? Yeah, I'd say the, you know, obviously find it. The Springfield College was a blessing for me and I didn't even know like that anything about like Springfield's got like one of the best transitioning programs in the country for, for people that want to do this as a profession. And I had no idea. So I kind of stepped in it. I can't say that I, you know, I kind of pre-planned that. So, but find a school that's going that has a reputable program in terms of placing strength and conditioning coaches. The without the internships I got through Springfield, I would not be where I am. You know, I'm the contacts I made, the network I developed was because I was sent to these places as part of my undergraduate development process. Like those, those were those were you know 16 credit. My last internship was a 16 credit class. So. Wow it's that was a big part of it and they also did a lot of practical work in the in the lab and things like that where you got to really understand um you know the what the job is and not uh, and not just um you know not just an emphasis on the on the the school side it was really a, a combination of both and um you know i would find the exercise science program uh springfield has a great one yukon has a great one they're popping up all over the place um but find one that you know that that has that has strength and conditioning coaches in the field uh, that you can you can kind of expand your network because they are graduates of that program. Um, so as an undergrad, you know, exercise science, kinesiology, um, even physical education, all of those will meet the requirements you need from a science standpoint to to understand the basics of how the body works and functions. Um, and then the applied piece is where it gets really critical. Um, in terms of a master's degree, you're starting to see that be a requirement. Um, and to, be, to become a full-time collegiate strength conditioning coach, uh, private sector, um, and some of the other uh, parts of the strength conditioning profession, they don't require that. Um, but in my opinion, like to me, it's always been, I don't want to ever have, I don't ever want to not check a box on a list from HR. You know, so if, if it's between me and another coach with the same qualifications and experience aside from a master's, I don't want that to be the limiting factor for me to get the job. So. Uh, to me, it was important. I got my 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 master's in health and human performance. Um, I did my my program online through Fort Hayes State University. It was a really good program. I really enjoyed it, um, and I did it while I was working in collegiate strength and conditioning. So, 
Um, you know, I, to young coaches out there, I would recommend applying for GAs immediately following your, you know, extra, you know, your undergrad after you've done some internships and you've gotten your feet wet and you kind of know this what you want to do. Um, get yourself school paid for and coach at the same time. Um, you know, we have two GA positions here. They get a stipend, they get school paid for, and they get coaching experience here. So you get a combination of both. You get the education side, you walk away with your master's, but you also walk away with two years of experience coaching that you put on your resume. So um, I was fortunate right out of undergrad, pretty much right out of undergrad, to get a full-time job. Um, so I, I didn't go the G- traditional GA route. Had I not, I would have. Yeah. Do you think your uh, your personal strength pursuits have application to your job? A hundred percent, Mike. There's not a program that that I put the athletes on that I haven't done, um, you know, or I haven't I haven't tinkered around with and tried myself, and it uh, helps me speak the language of the athletes. I think I think a hundred percent, and 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 I also like it's something that we really push to the interns and the staff that we have. A lot of times. Um, you know, most, a lot of times strength coaches come into the field because they're a former athlete or they like lifting, but there is, you know, let's say 25% of the people that come into the field, you know, that really love the science and the, and the, and, and, and the research and, and really enjoy that side of it. And maybe not, and maybe hadn't spent as much time under the bar as an athlete or a competitive lifter or a bodybuilder or so on and so forth. So right. I, I think you need to, if it's necessary, I, I you know, you, you don't know what 90% feels like until you put 90% on your back like that. Right. So if you're asking an athlete who just had a two and a half hour practice to train with 90%, like you've got to know like what they can handle. And some of that comes from your own experience. Um, you know, and so you're understanding how that, how it impacts your body, the type of training, how, how sore were you during certain exercises? And um, you know, you've got to have, that's gotta be always part of what you do. Like I, I love, I love training for that side, but that's part of it's easy for me. Um, right. But it's also easy to make an excuse to not do it. Um, so I, I think that's really important. Yeah. Or, or like you said, uh, you give your athletes four sets of 10 or five sets of 10. And if you've never done that before, you don't know how sore misery you're going to be to go to a practice or a training session. No, 100%. Or... And, 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 and honestly, like, it's a misconception, too. Like, a lot of times coaches, you know, the sport coaches who don't, who don't train, and this isn't a knock on them, will say, yeah, maybe maybe we should do like three by three sets of ten today because the uh, because the athletes you know will go light and just do like some higher reps and like yeah, as you know higher reps crush you like yeah. Like, yeah if you've never really done it you don't really know like you know if I went in there right now and did three by twenty I would be crippled tomorrow that's not how I normally train <laughs> so like, you know like that, that that's sometimes like a misconception but all but it's imperative for you to know if you're going to prescribe you know volumes and intensity for athletes. Yeah, I think empathy is like a good uh, aspect for a coach. Like if you can just relate to what you're giving them, it gives you a better understanding of how it affects them and how you move forward from there. Um, so, yeah, I think that's super interesting. Yeah. Yeah, and as far as uh, certifications, I saw you have a few of them. Uh, what are some certifications that you recommend to, again, check those boxes to make a difference between someone picking you over another coach? Yeah, for, to, at the college level, you have to have – you have to have your CSCS, which is through the NSCA, or uh, another organization, the CSCCA. Um, one of one of the two of those certifications is essentially mandated everywhere. And if it's not, it's a shame. Like the most most, if not all, places are requiring those. Um, and then to me, anything after that is it's is what you kind of want to build as your niche. Like I like the nutrition uh, component. I, I I find that 
continued education track to be uh, enjoyable for me, and I like it. I did the ISSA's uh, sports nutrition certification. Um, I've done the NASM's corrective exercise specialist certification, really just from a continued education standpoint, wanted to learn a little bit more. Um, the USAW has a basic, uh, it's like a basics of progressions for the Olympic movements, which is another good secondary certification for young coaches to kind of learn the practical side. Um, and there's a, there's a lot out there. Uh, Precision Nutrition has a good has a good course. Uh, the ISSN has a good nutrition course. There's the FMS certification. I mean, you can go down the line, but at the end of the day, you've got to have one or two or one of the two, you know, the big ones, the CSCS or the CSCCA certification. Right. Cool. And uh, how can people find more information about you if they want to like contact you and message you about any uh, tips or anything for coaching? Yeah, people could email me uh, George Green Performance uh, E at the end of Green at gmail dot com um, on social media at Green Strength G R E E N E Strength um, and if anybody has any questions, reach out to me there. Um, but you know, always I'll always get back to anybody who wants to reach out and. Especially young coaches who want to get into this field, always happy to help. And you mentioned you guys have a game tonight. Who are you playing? We play UMass Lowell tonight at seven o'clock. So hopefully, fingers crossed, we'll get the win tonight. Yeah. So I guess I guess we'll finish this up and let you go, so you can get over to that game with the win. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, George. Appreciate it. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Talk soon. Take care.